Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast, where we get right in the gears of Legion and we look at how no. all the, the no. clockwork... Uh, We're not doing that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, on this episode of Clockworks, we're talking about episode four of Legion. We're going to give this episode the title, The Undiscovered, for reasons that I think we'll talk about as we go through the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, This episode was directed by Larissa Kondraki. She's a Canadian director, uh, which I always am happy to see Canadians. We're Canadians also. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has a long list of IMDb credits, including Better Call Saul, The Americans, The Walking Dead, and an episode of Gotham, not in the season I was watching Gotham. Nothing I know particularly well, though. Um, We should note it's kind of sad that this is something that is worth noting, but it definitely is worth noting that this is an episode directed by a woman. It's the first episode of Legion directed by a woman and female. See more in the future. Uh, This episode was written by Nathaniel Halpern, his major IMDb credit is that he wrote for a TV series, Outcast. And the summary, the IMDb summary of the TV series, Outcast, is a young man searches for answers as to why he's been suffering from supernatural possessions his, his entire life. Okay. So that <laughs> seems like, like a bit Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's the creative team behind this episode. So I Take it away on that beat by beat. I will. Uh, I want to start. I'm going to start with a little little story though before I actually get into the beat by beat, which is we started watching this episode. I had it paused just to like get ready, like my popcorn or whatever it was that I'm eating. So I turn on the episode, I pause it, and in the middle of the screen is Jermaine Clement, and I know exactly who that is. He's you know playing the. Con- I'm a big fan of playing the Concords. He was also uh, what we do in the shadows. He's oh, man. Uh, and then uh, most recently, he was the Tamatoa, the crab in Moana. He's just like, I love him. And so the minute I saw his face on the screen, I was like, can this show get any better? <laughs> <laughs> Jermaine Clement on my screen. Okay, anyway, Jermaine Clement is there. He's not Jermaine Clement, though. He is Oliver Bird. And he monologues straight into the camera to tell us this is about violence. No, it's about human nature. No, it's about we are the root of all our problems. He seems nervous, and then he tries to drink from a glass, but it's frozen solid. He talks about stories we tell children, stories to learn empathy, and stories to teach fear. Then he says that this will be a work in five acts about a bunny named Frizzy Top who got too close to the ocean. The camera pulls out, and he is in a giant ice cube or ice blob floating in a sea of green. So I just want to talk about that opening by itself. Yes, absolutely. First point that I would like to <laughs> say is to add to your, it's the mother flipping Jermaine Clement. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is always a joy to see him on my TV screen. And in this episode, as in everything he is in. So good. Man, he kills it in this episode. Oh, this opening yeah. He is killing it, and then he continues to throughout the episode. But even this monologue, he goes from, I mean, in the way that Jermaine Clement does in Flight of the Concords, with his very, very dry delivery, mm-hmm. less for comic uh, effect, although it is funny, yeah. especially when he really breaks his serious demeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, man, yeah, he's so good. <laughs> that confidence, and yet lack of confidence, the, like authority and yet 
kind of buffoonery at the mm-hmm. same time. And it's in this, it seems like buffoonery that is not rooted on his stupidity, but on a kind of personal emotional desperation. Yeah. We see that especially throughout the episode. But even here at the beginning, even just apart from Jermaine Clement, this beginning as a thing, we've had voiceover before. This is not the same thing as No, that. he's talking right to us. Talking right to us and then directly about the show we're about to watch. Yeah, he says five acts and we kind of, doing this recap, we think we've figured out what the five acts are. You think you really have? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And then Frizzy Top, the bunny who gets too close to the ocean, I think by the end of this episode we'll try and work out who Frizzy Top is or what exactly that yeah. means. I think as kind of as we did in our last in our last episode, Shall We Begin, we talked about the story of the crane and the, woodcutter. the woodcutter. At the end of the episode, we looked back and thought about how it reflects on the entire episode, and we have the same thing happening again. And that story... The same character. Exactly. Telling that story. That's, yeah, that this is yet again another story by Oliver. Yeah. But now we know his name, we know his voice, we realize that it's been Jemaine Clement's voice this entire time, (laughs) and that he told a story at the beginning of the last episode that kind of mapped the episode in in, uh, theme. And this time again, he's telling a little story at the beginning of the episode. Telling us what to expect and what to make of what we're about to see. Yeah. And what he tells us, I mean, I think we'll come back to it again at the end, but what he tells us is that this episode is going to be about violence mm-hmm. and human nature and ignorance. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to those ideas at yeah. the end of every act as we walk through this episode. All right. So... We hear Sid doing a voiceover, and we see her lying on the floor, which is the end of the episode. We see flashes to the end of the episode. We then see flashes of Philly, of David as a child with his star lamp, of David as a child running through fields, and then present David is lying on the table in the lab, still asleep after the events of the last episode, surrounded by a field of stars. We see lots of flashes of past episodes, and Carrie and Melanie then discuss how to wake him. Autonomy can't find him in his memories, and Melanie says he's in the astral plane and thinks that they've activated some kind of guardian in his mind. She sends female Carrie, Autonomy, and Sid off to investigate. They go to Dr. Poole's office. Sid speculates on what's real and we see a flash of David eating the tape with the title card Legion on the screen. Tonomy and Sid discuss David's ability to create unreal spaces in his memory. They then go to the closet to find the tape recorder. It's dented and has blood all over it. Sid speculates that maybe they're in David's memory, and Tonomy is confident they're not, and then it's pretty sure they aren't. Sid and Tonomy go into the memory of the recorder and see David hurt Dr. Poole. Sid is disturbed by this. And once again we get, what did Star say? Sid speculates that he got rid of the tapes because he said too much. And this is Act 1. This is Act 1. So one thing to notice is that here in the beginning of Act 1, Sid spoils the whole episode for us in the first couple of seconds. If you know what you're seeing, she gives us the ending of the episode at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. There are flashes of what is going to be the end of the episode, Mm -hmm. and she also tells us what is happening, what is going to happen in this episode. She says, we went looking for truth, but found only lies. Mm -hmm. And that's, there are 
several points in this episode where that can be true. There are several points in this episode where we, the audience, suddenly learn truth where we have seen only lives yes, beforehand. Absolutely. Sid keeps saying in the voiceover in the first moments of this act, David, wake up, and then she wakes up with a start, not him. Mm-hmm. We mentioned this in our discussion of Shall We Begin, that we see David's dreams and then Sid waking up, and that's even more strong in this episode. Yeah, this episode has a lot of deep connections between the two of them. Mm-hmm. They, She sees things. She keeps seeing these flashes. And is she really seeing them? Is she just remembering them? It's un- really unclear. Or is the show just putting together things that aren't connected? Yeah. As I mentioned, talking about uh, this in the last episode, we're used to when we see dreams and then we see a character wake up, that means that's that character's dreams. But sometimes TV shows deliberately subvert that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be what's happening right now. Yeah. Who is dreaming? Who is sleeping? Yeah. I noticed this time, and I kind of noticed this in the first episode as well, but we get a flash from the first episode of David and Sid's kiss when they initially switch bodies. And I really noticed this time that it's like planets converging. Yeah. And it's, what did the stars say? And this kiss is like planets, and it's all very astronomical. Hmm. And even the circles throughout could the show planetary. could be planetary, could be the way we we represent stars as a star shape, but we represent lots of stars as circles, mm-hmm. especially in a constellation, stars are circles. True. That's a good point. Yeah, I sure didn't think is. of the circles <laughs> as astronomical. This is the first, in this beginning of this episode, we hear the phrase astral plane. This is a phrase that uh, I'm familiar with from X-Men comics as a thing, but this is the first time on this show that we get the phrase astral plane. We here we had discussed a few times in previous episodes the timeline of what is happening when. We get some confirmation just in terms of they have been in David's memories three times by now. Mm-hmm. There have been three memory sessions. Yeah. Um, also, I love <laughs> I love Patonomy's style. Oh, me too. Like he looks so good. Yeah. The way he, he dresses so sharp. I I think he looks great. <laughs> kind of a crush on Patonomy. I think he looks so good. <laughs> also, what he says in this part, he talks about. Oh, he talks about Sid, and he says that her power is essentially a card trick. Mm-hmm. He says compared to David. Your card trick, and he like, does. and it's so true that David's incredible power, and honest, and he doesn't say it about himself, but it is about himself too. And what he does compared to David is nothing. Yeah, I like a lot in this section. Patonomy has some reflections on memory, a few different things about mm-hmm. them. I mean, he talks about how most people's memories are unreliable. The curtains are different from in David's memory, yeah. and that's. Interesting because in the past he has implied that what he sees is more complete than what people consciously remember, but we have a bit of a confirmation that even what he sees isn't reliable even for most people's memories. Mm-hmm. And he says, Patonomy, who knows more about memory than anybody, yeah. you know, in the show, and if we accept him as a fictional character who knows more about memory than anyone, full stop, says the past is an illusion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Past's an illusion. Also interesting, I love that objects have memories. Yeah, that was really interesting. And why I'm surprised they haven't done that before. On the show? On the show. I mean, I guess maybe they'll do it again in the future. But maybe. like, yeah, the fact that he touches the 
the recorder and gets memories mm-hmm. from it is really interesting. And that's uh, Walter Benjamin, a uh, Second World War era Jewish mm-hmm. German philosopher, and it you know, tells you an awful lot about his biography right there. But anyway, Walter Benjamin says, the concept of life is given its due only of everything that has a history of its own and is not merely the setting of history is credited with life. In other words, according to Benjamin, objects are alive mm. if they have their own history. Interesting. And this is definitely like, yeah. makes sense. Objects have memory because they have their own life. Yeah. They actually are alive and have memory and have their own purpose. I just love it. It is odd that this office still exists, it, what seems to be several years later. It is. And the recorder is still there, all dented with blood on it. Mm-hmm. Why? And when they come in, Tonomy says, oh, it looks like Dr. Poole hasn't been here in a while. Yeah. And later in the episode, we find out that Dr. Poole is not a doctor anymore. He's a lighthouse keeper. Um, I mean, we can talk about that as we get to it. Yeah. But maybe. Does he still own, he still owns the office and hasn't changed anything in it? Yeah. That's odd. That's very odd. And then, because... We know that David was in the mental, was in uh, Clockworks for five years. So in five years, his office hasn't changed? Yeah. Or he did? It's just, that's strange. And so that lends credence to Sid's theory of, are we still in David's memory? Yeah. <laughs> and Potonomy, oh, it's beautiful. His, like, absolute confidence in, no, because he knows the difference between real world memories. And then he takes it back and goes, I don't think. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> David has thrown him for a loop. Yes, absolutely. He used to have absolute confidence. You can tell before this, before he ever met David, he was absolutely confident and could he always knew. tell the difference between memory and not memory. Yep. yep. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He knows what memory is. Yeah. yeah. And now David has thrown him for a loop. And in this scene in Dr. Poole's office, we're back to the session about what do the stars say? And we hear the question again, what did the stars say? And again, we don't get the answer. No, we're never going to get the answer. (laughs) But we do hear that David didn't just break in and rob Dr. Poole. He hurt Dr. Poole. Yes. And in our last, in the recording of our last episode, we had to edit out because I kept saying, when David attacked Dr. Poole, we don't know in this episode that David attacked him. So now we know. Now we know. David attacked attacked Dr. Poole. Yes. Yes. Um, Sid says, she tells autonomy she saw a flash of David eating the tape and his hands were, and she trails off. Bloody. I mean, yeah. his hands were like Bloody messed is up. what his hands were that she yeah. doesn't want to say. Well, Autonomy knows what happened already. He says, I read the report. The doctor had his skull broken, had to be induced in a coma, blah, blah, blah. But Sid but didn't Sid know. Sid certainly didn't know. Yeah. No. So, Autonomy has a lot more knowledge and a lot more. Yeah. So Sid is very new. She is. Yeah. Absolutely. It's surprising that Melanie is sending her out on these things when she's so new. She's new and she's emotionally invested and she's not Mm -hmm. really familiar with how uh, Summerland works. So a bit of a, I said I'd talk at the end of every act about uh, how it connects to what Oliver told us this story would be about. So I think act one, it ends with Sid hypothesizing that David's hiding his memories, that he broke into Dr. Poole's office to destroy evidence. Uh, Oliver told us this story would be about violence, human nature, and ignorance. He said it would be about empathy and fear. And here in this act, we learn that David 
violently attacked his doctor to hide something, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to create ignorance uh, violently. Hmm. And the focus of this whole act, and of the episode, but the focus of this act is on Sid trying to learn what's real. She's steeped in ignorance. Yeah. Not only about David's past, but even about the world that she's experiencing at this very moment. Yeah, absolutely. In our next act, Sid voices over again, and we get flashes of Walter kicking her. Again, this seems the end of the episode. More scenes from previous episodes flash by, and then we find Amy. Amy is in a cell with a slanted floor. One side of the wall is entirely a window. She receives some food and devours it ravenously, but then cries and throws the tray across the room. She cries loudly, and a voice comes from the next cell. It's Dr. Kissinger. He is a broken shell the last time we saw him. They discuss David, and Amy confesses that she knew he wasn't sick. She talks about their childhood and says he moved things and moved himself and knew things he shouldn't have. And then she drops the bombshell that they didn't have a dog at all. Then Sid is in the woods while Potonomy builds a fire. She remembers the trip through David's mind and sees the angriest boy standing, knife in hand, near a tree. But when she looks back, he's gone. Carrie is there and finally explains who her and other Carrie are. She tells the story of her birth and childhood and how they share one body. Male Carrie does the boring day-to-day stuff and female Carrie gets the action. Melanie, meanwhile, paces around Summerland to find a ghostly figure of a man in a diving suit in her office. Carrie and Melanie go down an elevator to a frozen room where Melanie's husband is frozen in the diver's suit. An alarm sounds and Oliver's voice shouts, unannounced visitor, unannounced visitor. So again, we start with Sid voiceovering this Mm -hmm. episode. She's the voiceover for this episode. Remember back in Road to Nowhere when she was singing and David was talking? Yes. Now she's the speaker. Yeah. And just like the voiceover in Road to Nowhere, it sounds like she's speaking with a lot of perspective. She's talking Hmm. from a real distance from the future about the past. She's talking with a lot of perspective on what is happening here. Mm -hmm. And she's, you know, compares herself to Alice and Dorothy and uh, talks about what do you, what, how do you find the facts when memory becomes a dream? And again, it's all about Sid trying to find out what is real. Yeah. I want to point out that uh, the scenes with Amy and Dr. Kissinger are all blue light, blue shifted. Yes, blue light. As in, there is no red. Hmm. Like it's unnatural light. Yes. very possibly it is realism of the of a horrible light that they put on those cells, which, by the way, are the most awful, uncomfortable cells yeah. in so many details. Yeah. Uh, like, good job set design making the most uncomfortable room. Yeah. Um, but there's no red in those rooms. You're right. At all. Because it's all blue shifted. Mm. I don't know exactly. In that light, it also, presumably, Amy is still wearing her mint green. Yeah, but it looks white. It looks white. And Dr. Kissinger's in black, those exactly. black and white figures, yep. And maybe we want to save the closed discussions for the end. But, it, yeah, um, that is interesting. I mean, and also, when I first watched it, you see these two cells side by side. You see Dr. Kissinger in one and Amy in the other, and it's kind of like this half cell. And I thought maybe, like, oh, this is just, like, for the, ca- for the sake of the camera, they're showing us a cutaway. But then 
there's a guy who walks in front of them and you realize that no, these are just glass walls or like plexiglass walls with right. holes in them even and they can talk through. And it's like just adds a level of mm. discomfort to the cells. It's the panopticon, they can watch you all the time. Yeah. And it also is just like visually uh well directed, well, well shot yeah. moment where your sense of space suddenly shifts. I yeah, think exactly I mean I think that's purposeful that mm. we're supposed to uh think that it's a cutaway wall, an invisible fourth wall, but no, it turns out it's a transparent fourth wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, Amy asks Dr. Kissinger if he knew David wasn't sick, mm-hmm. and Dr. Kissinger doesn't answer. Yeah, he, he changes kind of the subject. The yeah, she says she knows he knew on some level he wasn't sick, but mm-hmm. his psychiatrist refuses to answer. Yeah. Which implies that he maybe he knew something. Yeah. He definitely knew after afterwards. I mean, like when he came back in with Sid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There definitely clearly things are going on there. But I mean, the main thing, okay, the main thing in this section yes. is that King is not real. The dog is ah! not real. There was no dog. There was had, no dog. Never had a dog. Remember in Shall We Begin when King was chasing a red tennis ball? Remember her red is danger and psychic influence and associated with the devil's yellow eyes and things that aren't real? And remember how there never was a real dog and it wasn't real. It was never real. There wasn't a dog. Jan, there wasn't a dog. He chases, in the last episode in Halloween, he chases the dog and finds the angriest boy. Ah. He's not... Real. He says that dog went everywhere with me and he wasn't real ever. No. And we've seen that dog since the first, uh, since Happy Jack, since the yes. first episode. We've seen that dog in all of David's memories. Yeah. He was in David's past. But he's, he's not, not real. real. Oh my goodness. It's such a huge thing. It's a bombshell. <sighs> to be dropped. <laughs> and yeah, there are revelations all over this episode, but that's one of the hugest ones. Yeah. To find out. Absolutely. That the dog isn't real. And then the shot, like speaking of the direction, and then the shot of the dog after like <laughs> we never had a real dog, and then there's this intense close-up, slow motion, yeah. high definition <laughs> shot of the dog, and it is the creepiest, most <laughs> not creepy, baby, the most ominous looking beagle that yeah, has ever exactly. been. Like, how, do you, how do you make a beagle look oh, so scary? I don't know, she did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that is one scary beagle. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was really cool and really good. In those pat flashes to David's past, David and Amy's past, the craziest thing happened that I noticed that like the third time I watched this episode now is David starts that that scene wearing a green shirt with his brown sweater over top. And then it instantly flashes and he's in this red outfit instead. And then suddenly Amy, child Amy, is wearing the brown sweater and the green shirt. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if the like, Maybe she took off her. She took off her sweater and gave it to him. But it almost like weirds me out in the way of like, wait, is Amy not real? Let's come back to I. I won't edit this out, but let's come back to that and talk about it when we're talking about clothes. But yeah, yes, that's crazy. But yeah, we need to move on and talk about some other things in this section. Um, in this section, Sid sees the angriest boy in the world. That She's too. not with David. No. She's completely in a different place than him, and she sees the angriest boy with his paper mache head. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah, and is he, is that her just remembering, or is she actually seeing him there? Is I feel he like the way she acts there? that she is seeing him. Yeah. 
and that we talked in the last episode about his her psychic connection to David and whether you know how intense it is how serious it is Mm -hmm. what the nature of it is and we see it more strongly here does that mean that the angriest boy in the world is real and exists physically in the world but only she and David can see him or is it spoilers for later in this very episode if the angriest boy in the world or uh, whatever is a parasite in David's mind has it spread to Sid if Sid can see it when she's not with David that's interesting I didn't think about that that it spread to her or I don't know Ooh, I like that though if it's a psychic projection where does it originate why can she see it when she's not with him yeah the other thing revealed, major thing revealed here is the whole story of Carrie and Carrie. Yes. And about that, we start this section, this act, mm-hmm. we start this act with Sid saying, who are we if not the stories we tell ourselves? Mm. And then in this section, we have Carrie telling a story about herself. And when Carrie tells a story about herself, she's actually telling a story about the other Carrie. And Sid points that out, makes it yeah. text, right? That... Carrie, female Carrie's story about herself is there was a boy named Carrie and when he was eight years old another Carrie appeared and mm-hmm. so it's told from his perspective. Yeah absolutely. So who are we if not the stories we tell about ourselves and the story she tells about herself is that she's him. Yeah and, he, and yeah and when Sid asks she's kind of like I just get to do the fun stuff I get to do the action and she's all through this episode obsessed with violence like all she yeah. wants is a fight. Yeah. She mentions it over and over again. So is does she exist just to fight? Is she the fighty part of Carrie? Yeah, I don't, like if he remains seems... pacifist and she is the violence in him. And the text of the episode is telling us that she's not a part of Carrie. They're two different people in the same body, but she's not yeah. like part of his personality. But still, still, she's... they share a life and they share an experience and they share and they, mm-hmm. you know. Who are we if not the stories we tell ourselves? The yeah. story she tells of herself is him. What I don't understand is there's kind of a clunky Melanie goes, it's weird how she only ages when she's outside your body, which is a very clunky way of talking about yes. something they both already know about. Also, how does that work? Because she came out when she was eight. Yeah. They were both eight together. And then starting then, starting then she. Yeah, I agree. It's not the best. I think that's, yeah, it's a very weak point of the. They felt like they needed to explain why she's so much younger, but uh, yeah, I didn't think that was necessary. Wasn't they didn't do it the very best way? Yeah, yeah. In terms of, uh, do you have anything else to say about this act, or can I finish summing up up the act? Sum it up, Paul. So, uh, act two ends with people shouting at David, Mm -hmm. just like the last episode ended with people shouting Mm -hmm. at David in the middle of a circle of people shouting at him. And this entire act is about identity and stories, as I said. There isn't direct violence in this act, except for, as you said, Carrie's continued desire for violence. She Mm -hmm. keeps talking about violence. And there's a lot of ignorance in this episode, in this act, if we think about violence and human nature and ignorance. There's Amy and Kissinger don't know themselves or each other or David. Mm-hmm. They deny what they know and claim to know things they don't know. Kissinger even denies knowing whether he is exists. Mm-hmm. Like they said, you weren't real. I am real. I used to be, right? Yeah. Who are any of the people in this act? They don't know themselves. And then also just 
we as the audience are the big bombshell of the episode or one of the big bombshells of the episode happens here and we realize that we've spent most of the series i mean frankly we've already known that we spent most of the series ignorant but mm. we find out that we don't know who things are and what is going on and we're mm. completely put off guard i think uh off our footing by the fact that things we've seen aren't true yeah we're reminded how much we can't trust what we see on this show yeah um, oh, we we also revealed that Melanie's husband is frozen in the basement of someone. Right. So who people are, we don't know. This is an act all about ignorance and stories about identity. I just thought of something and I need to say it. This episode is winter. Yeah, totally. We've had one episode of fall, two episodes of summer. This episode is winter because they're in the frozen thing. It's all oh. ice and frozenness okay. everywhere. Agreed. <laughs> so as you mentioned, inside David's head, he's surrounded by shouting people. The unannounced visitor continues and seems to awaken him in this strange place with kind of stars at his feet in this Martian landscape. And he sees the diver and follows him to a ladder that's made of circles, which leads to the iceberg ice cube we saw in the introduction. Inside, the floor seals behind him and Oliver Bird takes off the diver suit and offers David a drink. Oliver turns on a record of jazz music and it makes David extremely uncomfortable. He asks for it to be turned off and they have a discussion. David realizes that he's not awake and Oliver explains about the astral plane. Oliver is odd and non sequitur. Oliver knows about David's monster and that it makes David forget. He calls the devil with the yellow eyes a parasite, not a psychosis. As we see flashes of the devil with the yellow eyes in the walls, David then attempts to use his power to get out of the ice cube and Oliver shows him the door and tells him to come back anytime and remember what he sees isn't real. And this is act three. First, before anything else, the show keeps calling what Oliver is trapped in an ice cube. And again, in future episodes, they'll talk about him being in an ice cube. And I just want to put out there that ain't a cube. No, it's a blob. <laughs> it's, like an ice, it's like an iceberg blob thing. It's an iceberg. So, <laughs> We'll maybe call it an ice cube because the show does, but I'm just going to say. Yeah, that's an ice cube. That's not a cube. So the astral plane you said is green. The greenness of the astral plane. We've seen green things like Amy is green and the interrogation room is green. We haven't seen green light. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen green sh shifted light. So it's a new visual landscape for us. Yeah. It's distinct from the whole vibe of the devil with yellow eyes the visuals of the astral plane are i think uh so effectively disorienting mm -hmm. they're like enormous uh landscape without any borders there's no sense of proportion he's sitting in a chair in the middle of like it seems upside down because he's in the stars and the land is up and that i have no sense of scope no. there's floating balls of green is this, are we tiny? Are we giant? Are we regular sized? It seems like the way that we film when we're microscopic and a yeah, lot of that's things what I felt seem like microscopic. microscopic. And even like the uh, circular ladder seems like a strand of DNA. Oh yeah, that's uh, a good point. I felt like it was a cell. Like Even when we first saw it in the beginning, the ice blob cube thing, looks like a cell in, inside of a body. Yeah. So there's He's within one of his cells or something. There's a lot going on visually here in the mm -hmm. astral plane that I think is... Yeah. Combined. That also being said, I just need to point out that 
the weird frozen room thing is very reminiscent of Magneto's plastic prison. It is. In X-Men 2. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but it definitely feel, felt like... And, like, before I knew that it was the astral plane, I was like, is he somehow Magneto and, like, in a plastic prison? Like, in the first, in the intro at the very beginning? Yeah. Yeah. His room... I have to say, yeah, his room looks more plastic than, than ice. ice. Yeah. Maybe um, that's just a set design thing that we don't maybe like. Maybe it's a set or... design thing we don't like. Maybe it's about it's metaphorically ice because yeah. his body is cold, but his mind isn't really, but his mind is interpreting that as cold. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how it's all, he can't do anything about the cold, but there's a degree to which, well, why not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why does he need a diver's suit to come outside of that yeah. ice cube? Because the diver suit's not real. Yeah. So it's all like oh, really it's weird. all just Oliver's projection of I mean, what he should be in. Oliver is just infinitely interesting. Yes. And the way he talks and the way like he's hilarious also. Like these are the funniest scenes we've had so far, like in this show. Both David and him do funny things. Yeah. I love David how David is just like stunned. Yeah. At Oliver and what he does. The Dan Stevens doing uh just a great job yeah. of like uh, some more comedy than we have seen from him so far. He's just mm-hmm. like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, expression. Exactly. Because exactly. Oliver plays jazz and talks about like the free love of the sixties and then talks about, and does some like weird beat poetry thing. Yeah. Um, you said that Oliver explains the astral plane to David, and I just want to comment that sort of. Yeah, he, he does. He tries him. to, but he's so, as you say, he's so like non sequitur. He can't put thoughts together. And there, there's, it's funny, but it's also there's a real pathos to that because he says, "I've been here for a long time." He is so starved for conversation and company, and yeah, that he is just like does not know what to do with himself. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and he doesn't even remember his wife. Yeah. Who really remembers him. And I that's knew a melody once. Yeah. Um, he plays jazz music and David doesn't like it. And we the reason David doesn't like it is because jazz music is, is uh, the devil with yellow eyes' is soundtrack. Yeah. And even Oliver's like, oh, I should have known. He knows that jazz music goes with the devil with yellow eyes yeah. somehow. Um, I want to point out he, simil- he had a similar melody. I just want to I want to point out that the jazz music that he plays is not the same jazz music mm. as the Devil with Yellow Eyes yeah. soundtrack, but it's also jazz music. And lots of horns and horns. Yeah, it's clearly associated with that. So, he. This is another part where we're, we're revealing things because Oliver knows things, explains things that we've never had anyone explain before. He no. knows that the Devil with Yellow Eyes is separate from David. He is a parasite. He knows that he makes David forget him. That is brand new yeah, information we, that we had hinted at before, but this is like, no, this is what's happening. Oh, he makes you forget. We have seen that in action, but we have not had that explicitly stated at mm. all. And we have the, the line that Oliver says, right, is, oh, monster as metaphor. I like it. But no, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> He's not a symptom. He's a parasite. Yeah, he's literally there. So now we've been all through this series asking what's the devil with the yellow eyes and what's its relationship to David, and we have an answer now. Mm -hmm. It is not the same thing as David. Yeah. And he says he can't get in here. Yeah. And so 
maybe that is why Oliver needs the diving suit outside of his ice cube, is this ice cube is protection against things like that. Mm-hmm. Which comes back to, you said, you pointed out, Oliver says he had a similar proclivity, malady, I've forgotten the word. Yeah. Um, what is the word? Like, he's forgotten the word. That means it's neither proclivity nor malady. What exactly is he similar mm-hmm. to David in? Does Oliver have his own devil with yellow eyes, is my question. He seems to know about the monster. He knows how to protect David from the monster. He says David brought the monster in, but he also is in a safe room. Yeah. When he says he has a similar proclivity, does that mean uh, telepathy? Or even more specifically, does it mean he has his own monster? Yeah. That just occurred to me, like, right now as well, before you said that, was that if we know even from Melanie that David is similar to Oliver, Mm -hmm. and if they're both telepaths, and Oliver has been in the astral plane for, like, 20 years, Mm -hmm. and David, or 20 or 30 years, and David is 20, 30 years old, this parasite is maybe several parasites that have come, that are attacking people with telepathy. And that, yeah, and that's how he knows so much. That's how he knows so much. And that's going to come up in the future, I would say, with when we know, when we find out more about David's father, Mm -hmm. that's Professor X, and did Professor X get attacked by this too? Yeah, and we know, I mean, I've said uh, before that my main source of knowledge about X-Men comes from the cartoon, Mm -hmm. and I know that on the cartoon... Uh, Professor X has battles on the astral plane with telepaths who are massively powerful, and the one that immediately comes to mind is the Shadow King. Yeah, I don't know much more about the Shadow King than that, but in the X-Men cartoon, the Shadow King is just like another person who's super telepathically powerful. Yeah. But uh, we know that Professor X has telepathic battles on the astral plane, Yeah, at least in the so comics did, and the cartoons. So did Oliver have a battle on the astral plane and lose and end up stuck in this cube? Because it's really mysterious why he is there. Yeah, and even exactly. Mysterious to us, but it seems like mysterious to Melanie. She and like, Carrie and yeah, Melanie and Car- he just suddenly didn't. He one day didn't wake up, and they don't know why he's there. Mm-hmm. And Mel- Melanie is maybe he's going to wake up now. Carrie says, you know, don't get your hopes up. That's happened. We've thought that was going to happen before. Mm-hmm. I also want to say, Oliver says that David is at war with himself. Mm-hmm. Remember in the opening of this episode, Oliver quotes the uh, philosopher and says, the warlike man in peacetime, a warlike man goes to war with himself. Um, interesting. So the phrase at war with himself, mm-hmm. like he's already said that. Again. Yeah. So if we talk about... Violence and ignorance and human nature, then Act 3 is all about David learning things he doesn't understand. Learning things and he doesn't know what it is he has learned, right? Mm -hmm. The monster's a parasite, but David doesn't really know what that means. We don't really know what that means, but David especially. Um, There isn't any obvious violence in Act 3, but there is set up motivating the violence in act five. Yeah. So if we think about this as one story about uh, violence and human nature and ignorance, David's ignorance here in act three is going to come to fruition in violence in act five. Yeah, absolutely. 
Sid voices over about being a woman who couldn't be touched. As they make their way to meet Billy, they ride the bus and she sees the angriest boy again. Sid and Potonomy meet with Philly, and he goes through her memories as Sid distracts her. Philly remembers a breakfast with Dr. Poole at their house, and they're discussing a dog and David's lack of a past. Potonomy sees Philly go to Dr. Poole in a lighthouse building near the ocean, clearly after the attack. In the present, Potonomy stands up and tries to leave, but Sid questions Philly about David, discovering that his drug buddy wasn't Lenny, but a man named Benny. Philly says to tell David that they're watching. Oh. I didn't mention the part at the beginning where Carrie and Tonomy are talking about violence. So that's kind of significant to what you've been talking about all along. Right. Is that Car- all Carrie wants is some violence at this point. Yep. And Tonomy speaks against it. Yeah. Tonomy says... Um, he quotes Sun Tzu's Art of War and says, uh, excellence is not having victory in battles, but bringing your enemy to, I didn't write down the quote, supreme excellence comes from having mastery over your enemy without battling or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I paraphrase, but it's from Sun Tzu's Art of War mm. when Carrie is, you know, hankering for fisticuffs mm-hmm. and Padonami quotes that at her. Mm-hmm. Um, Sid sees the angriest boy in the world again. I mean, we could say everything we've said about that again, but yeah, we don't need just, to. She's still seeing him as a thing. Everything about the thing with Philly is another revelation that yes. Lenny isn't Lenny. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing of this act, for sure, is the revelation that Lenny is not Lenny, which is as big a revelation as the fact that they never had a dog. It is another mm-hmm. mind-blowing rethink everything you think you know about what you've seen in the past. You can't trust your own memory of yeah. this show. And even Potonomy goes into Philly's memory. We see the scene where Philly fights Lenny for the frog, and it's Lenny, it's Aubrey Plaza. And then after she tells them that, no, it was a man named Benny, then we see the scene again with a man there. So is it, has Philly's memory also been altered by the double of yellow eyes or whatever? Or is Potonomy seeing what he expects to see because he thinks he already knows this information? How does Potonomy see the wrong thing in Philly's memory when she doesn't even know he's in there looking at her memory? Exactly. (sighs) I don't know what that means, but yeah, that's the crazy thing. The flash is back to Philly and Sid. It flashes back to Philly and David's relationship. It's kind of sweet also, what we see of them. Yeah, a little too sweet. Yeah. I think that breakfast is her looking at her memory through rose-colored glasses. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally buy that. They're all like, oh, it's so nice, and they're going to get a dog, and they're talking about she's all happy, and maybe their life was like that. But everything we've seen has been... Not like that. Yeah. It's been them fighting pretty... And why were they having his psychologist over for breakfast? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist over for breakfast? I don't know. That is a little strange. Yeah. In that scene over breakfast, David 
like they're talking about getting a dog and David enthusiastically brings up his dog and how great it is. And like, yeah. that is so chilling now that we know that the dog isn't even real and it's connected to, and Philly comments on. There's no pictures there's of him. There's no pictures of him. There's no pictures of anything. Like he was never a, and she trails off. Yeah. Uh, didn't even have a past, she says. Even at this point in David's life. He is not a reliable narrator to Philly, to himself. What happened in his past is there's no evidence. She uses the word evidence, right? And earlier in this episode, the reason that David went to Dr. Poole's office was to destroy evidence. Evidence. I guess it's the first time that David has destroyed evidence. Yeah. Why does he have no evidence of his past? Is it because... Either he or the devil with yellow eyes manipulating him has destroyed evidence before. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like yeah. in childhood photos and stuff. Exactly. Oh, how does Amy fit into that? Because then, how, like, if it's like he had no childhood, but Philly and Amy seem to know each other. Like, Amy talks about you and Philly could get engaged in, like, a couple episodes ago. But when we, I mean, oh, Did Amy oh. ever meet Philly? Did Amy ever meet Philly? Did Philly, more importantly, did Philly ever meet Amy? Has anybody else on this show ever met Amy? Sid has seen her. Sid saw her while being projected by David. I'm just so, you're uh, noticing that their clothes switch (sighs) makes me suspicious. I suspect everything on this show. Nothing is real. I know. Like, suddenly I'm doubting whether Amy is real or doubting things about Amy. Yeah. Maybe, and what we keep saying about, like, the big evidence that David didn't kill his mother is that he has such a great relationship with Amy. But what if he doesn't have a great relationship with yeah, Amy? Yeah, yeah. What, what if that's only what we're seeing? I don't yeah. know. And the end of this, the two things at the end of this act, one, Philly says to tell David, they're watching. She doesn't, though. I, I said it wrong, I realize now, because... Sid says, is there anything you want us to tell David? And she just says, they're watching. So maybe that's not a message. That's not a message for David. That's, I can't tell you anything right now. They're Uh, watching me. I totally read it as my message for David is they're watching. But maybe that's the reason I can't give you a message for David is that they're watching. They're watching. They're watching right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a little like past, future, blah, blah, blah thing. She totally has a tablet on her desk. Yeah. (laughs) And, I mean, talk about the timeline. How long has uh, Oliver been frozen? Because he talks about, is free love still a thing? So if he's been frozen 20 years and it's the 70s, then he was frozen in the 50s and free love wasn't a thing yet. Like, how long has he been frozen? time is messed up. Because it seems... There's also, like, a background thing about time travel. So maybe there's time travel in this. Maybe it's there all is. messed up. I do love time travel. And David's reaction <laughs> to, like, when when he's, when he's Oliver is, like, is free love still a thing? And David's reaction is, like, uh, no. Yeah. But his re- within the 70s, he'd be that much, maybe. Yeah. Well, no, because he asked him, like, girls in summer dresses with no bras. And he's, like, oh, bras are a thing now. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're back. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, Act 4 ends with Sid saying, maybe it was an illusion as Dr. Poole opens the door. That's not Dr. Poole. And then, in terms of violence and ignorance in this act, we we learn here 
our own ignorance throughout this entire series that Lenny isn't Lenny. The Summerland people don't know who Lenny is. They don't know what they don't know. Like the way that Patonomy and Sid are so shaken by the fact that Lenny isn't Lenny. There's that detail, but that detail is feels like it's just a drop in the bucket yes. to them. They're revealing that nothing you think you know about David do you know. Yeah, Ignorance is violence. Violence is ignorance. Mm-hmm. And this is another act about ignorance. Yeah. So they go to the lighthouse to see Dr. Poole. He is reluctant to let them in, but eventually they convince him to come in just for five minutes. Dr. Poole brings them tea, and Sid wants to talk. She tells Patonomy not to search his memories without his permission. Dr. Poole speaks of Benny, who had a negative effect on David. Sid asks him what the stars said, that he's evasive, and wants to see David himself. Suddenly, Dr. Poole mentions Melanie, and Carrie notices commandos coming up the beach. Dr. Poole transforms into Walter, and the house is shot up as they run upstairs. Harry is desperate for a fight and leaps from the window. We cut to Oliver playing a record in his frozen room, and then music plays as we move around to a series of scenes. Carrie, the male Carrie, sweeps next to David's sleeping body. Walter comes up the stairs, and Patonomy tries to shoot him. Oliver dances in his cube. Carrie fights the commandos. Amy and Dr. Kissinger are being tortured by blinking lights in their cells. Female Carrie and male Carrie are mirroring each other's movements as one dances alone at Summerland and the other one takes down the commandos. Walter and Patonomy both get ready for a fight, but Walter just touches Patonomy's head, making his eye go white and putting him to sleep. Walter touches Sid and they change places. Walter and Sid falls to the ground. Carrie is surrounded by commandos, and male Carrie screams as Carrie is beaten. Oliver collapses in his cube, drinking scotch. Walter, or rather, Sid in Walter's body, stares at his hands and then kicks Sid in the face as she tries to tell the commandos it's a trick. David lies in the lab, hearing Lenny in his head, and then seeing a version of his childhood room, all in green light. He talks to Lenny, asking if she's a friend. They talk about who Lenny is, and David demands that she tell him the truth. She tries to convince him to concentrate, and makes him mad by showing him images of Sid in the present with Walter. David's face and Lenny's face merge and scream and become the devil with yellow eyes. David emerges in the middle of the road in front of the van with Sid, Carrie, and Patonomy in it. He rescues them, handing Sid, who is Walter, a knife, as Walter, who is Sid, wakes up in time to throw a tire iron. They chase Sid, and David tackles Walter, and then Sid and Walter trade back bodies as real Walter pulls a gun. Carrie gets between them and is shot in the shoulder. Male Carrie back in Summerland also collapses. David stares on in disbelief as a discolored hand curls around his shoulder, and Lenny appears behind him, and we cut to credits. So this is Act 5, and... This is the act where all the ignorance uh, mm-hmm. blossoms into all the violence. First, act, first, Sid is against scanning Poole's memories, and man, is that a mistake. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Um, but it would, I, it's a real question of if Ptolemy had tried to scan Walter, Dr. Poole's memories, what would he have seen? Yeah, Who knows? Know. Would Who he knows? have been blocked? Was it Walter the whole time? The whole time... That they are talking to Walter? Yeah. I think so. Because he does know about things. He does know how long he treated David. He does know that it's Benny. It's true. 
Um, That's true. But it does. But he does have the wonky eye the whole time. Yeah. We talk. Sid asks again, "What did the stars say?" And again, we don't get an answer. Yeah. Like this is evasive again. Several times in this episode and in previous episodes, like that question comes up again and again and again and again and again and again and again. When are we going to know what answer. did the stars say? Talking about Walter and his powers and his place in this, he seems very unperturbed when people are shooting in the house. Yeah, he has some kind of bullet-repelling power. He must, He can't right? get shot. It, his, I thought when he turned into Dr. Poole, I thought like, oh, we now know what Walter's power is. It's that he can, you know, project illusions and look like someone else or something. Mm-hmm. But they're shooting into the house and he like does not flinch at all or duck or anything. So mm-hmm. he's clearly... And Potonomy shoots at him and he doesn't get hit. And Potonomy's like confused because he's holding the gun yeah. shooting at him. And then he like puts Potonomy out by touching his head. That's not an illusion. Uh, yeah, he's. What are his powers? I don't know. He has like fifty powers. Uh, he's, he's one of your uh, mutant jackknives. <laughs> you mean mutant Swiss Army knives? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's one of your mutant Swiss Army knives. Um, the fight dance scene. I love it. Like again, talking about the direction of this yes. episode. Yeah, that is a beautifully directed. Beautifully directed section, segment, yeah. whatever. And it shows this real connection between Carrie and Carrie. Yeah. And him, like, props to Bill Irwin yeah. doing that dance, doing those choreography without anyone to kick or punch. Yeah, and just doing does. it all by himself in the room yeah. is a really impressive. He does an amazing job That's of great. being in pain of all that stuff. Why is Oliver included in that montage? That Oliver's dancing... Visually, it's really compelling that his the fight looks mm. like a dance, that what Carrie is doing is fighting, what Carrie in Summerland is doing is dancing that is sort of fighting, dancing like fighting, and what Oliver is doing is dancing that's not even pretending to be fighting, but still is visually very connected to the fighting. But well, in terms of theme or meaning or character, why, why is he... He's He knows what's going on. Yeah. Outside of him. Because he knew about David, like, he knew about Amy. Yeah. So his power, if his power is telepathy, it feels like he actually knows what's going on outside of himself and in the, in Summerland. And so him putting on the music and dancing is his way of being a part of that scene we're seeing. Right. And he's very, like, he's almost breaking the fourth wall. Again and again. Oh, yeah, he is. He's breaking the fourth wall again and again. This is almost another one of those mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall by like, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on this record that you are going to hear. <laughs> yeah. I am going to dance to it while you watch these people fight dance. Yeah, fight dancing, dancing, <laughs> fighting. <laughs> um. Anyway, I, that's a great. Montage. Yeah, and like talk about well directed. It's yeah. a well directed episode. And well edited as well. well. Yeah, and well edited. Yeah. Putting thing putting those shots all together mm-hmm. so beautifully. So beautifully. Um this is the first time Sid uses her powers on purpose. Yep. As far as we know, ever. Yeah. Uh yeah, so far we've only ever heard accidental yep. things. So yeah, that is interesting that she uses this power on purpose. 
And that Walter has no idea what her power is. Apparently not, because he wouldn't be trying to touch her. Yeah. If he knew. So the whole scene in the astral plane with David and Lenny. Mm -hmm. He keeps asking who she is. Yeah. Because he knows. And this is our first, like, real thing that she is the devil with the yellow eyes. Yeah. That's the other reveal of this episode. We've had kind of some subtle clues of that before, but in this episode, at the end of this section, her face morphs into the face of the devil with yellow eyes. Yeah. Like, yes. Brain, slick back hair, brain, Lenny is the devil with yellow eyes. Messy hair, Lenny from before Clockworks is actually Benny. Mm -hmm. Is there a messy hair, Lenny? Lenny in the uh, in Well, someone died. Someone died in the wall. Someone died in the wall, and uh, Hamish, the investigator, said that it was a girl, so it wasn't yeah, a girl is dead. So that wasn't well. And in, Benny. in this episode, uh, Sid talks about your I I killed Lenny in Clockworks. So right, we don't know what she looks like. Lenny from Clockworks could look like anything. Yeah, but she is the person. There is a person named presumably a woman or a girl named Lenny who died, who Sid killed. Presumably, the devil with yellow eyes is using the face of Lenny from Clockworks. That's what I we assume. Yeah, I, I assume. Anyway, um, I love... <laughs> are you my friend? I'm Betty Tuflow, your mean friend. <laughs> yeah. Again, with, like, the vaudeville... Vaudevillian... Yeah. Yeah. She's so good, man, Albert Plaza. Doing a great like, job. Who are you? I'm you. Which we now know is not a true. lie. Yeah. Like, it's... That's Straight not, up lie. Yeah. Yeah. And when she talks about... Oh, man. When Lenny talks about, I can't be stuck in here, I have things to do. Yes, what things does she have to do? That is, yeah. Like, if we're, if we're both stuck in here. Which leads, lends credence to the idea that Oliver has his own devil with the yellow eyes. Because if he wants his parasite to stay stuck in there, he would stay stuck in there too. Yeah, so maybe that's why Oliver doesn't ever come out. Despite being also a powerful telepath who has knowledge of the world outside. He's staying inside specifically to keep something else trapped with him. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, on Lenny being a liar, <laughs> yes. she says she shows him Sid in trouble. And I assume that the fact that Lenny can see this stuff happening means that the devil feel alive. Lenny can see this stuff happening, can show David images of Sid unconscious and Walter mm-hmm over Sid's body, I assume that Lenny also knows that that is Walter unconscious in Sid's body. And so she's deliberately misleading him to hurt Sid, to endanger his friends. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that someone called the devil wouldn't be trustworthy? But she... (laughs) (laughs) In this very episode, like, she's talking... She's pitting him against Summerland. She's the one who's putting doubt in his mind about Summerland. Yes, absolutely. In the last episode in um, Shall We Begin, we talked about she tells him not to trust Melanie, and Mm -hmm. we didn't trust Melanie, partly because she told him not to trust Melanie. Yes, that's true. She's convincing us. And now we know that she's... That she is a liar. That Mm -hmm. she is the devil with yellow eyes. That she is... Not only is the devil with yellow eyes is... uh, outright malignant and hostile and lying and not him. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. After, by the end of this episode, we know all that stuff. So we have this moment 
where David is screaming, Lenny is behind him, their faces all merge and then merge into the devil with the yellow eyes. He, em- he comes up from the middle of the road and he uses his powers on purpose for the first time that we've ever seen him. Like deliberately, he stops the van in front of the big slowdown sign, which yeah, is hilarious. Great. He stops the van on purpose with his powers. So he's able to use his power on purpose. In a different way than how he ever has before. Yeah. With confidence he hasn't had before. Yeah. So it was something happened there. And then the shot at the end of the very end of the episode, the extremely creepy ending creepy. of the hand going around his shoulder, exactly like the hand went around the corner in his memory in mm-hmm. uh, Shall We Begin? Yeah. Uh, again, if we didn't, if you didn't get the hint that Lenny is the devil with yellow eyes, the devil with yellow eyes is hand and then Lenny's face. Yeah, pop up on his shoulder. And you said in Shall We Begin, the uh, arrow pointing to his shoulder, signaling like the devil on his shoulder. Yeah. And here, Lenny becomes the literal, literal devil on his shoulder. You're right. She does. I think mm. it's the other shoulder. Yeah, it is. The, <laughs> the hand is on his shoulder. Yes. And the monkey on his back, we talked about in the last episode. Right, yeah. Like, she's a monkey on his back yeah, and the devil on his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, what a creepy, creepy ending. Yeah. And what it like... The whole part where Walter and Sid and so that Sid is Walter with the, he goes to rescue them and just like hands him a knife without yeah. realizing that that's someone and she wakes up just in time to hit him with a tire iron. That's just like a great series of like yes. events, well, well done and well shot. Um, so in terms of violence and ignorance mm-hmm. in this act, as I said, violence. this act is full of violence, full of ignorance. This is the fullest encapsulation of that idea mm-hmm. that we started the episode yeah. on, that no one knows who they're attacking or why. We don't even know whether David is David. Yeah. And David is acting either controlled by the devil with yellow eyes or manipulated by the devil with yellow eyes into being, into acting violently and into acting violently for ends their counter to his ends, Mm -hmm. right? So it's very much ignorance breeds violence. Here you go. Any other thoughts on this act? Should we go to... Move on to, like... Overall encapsulation, closing thoughts on the episode? Yeah, well, who is Frizzy Top, the the fuzzy bunny? Is, I mean, I think the two contenders, if this is a story of a fuzzy bunny who got too close to the ocean, Mm -hmm. uh... The two contenders for Frizzy Top, I think, are Sid and David. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of this episode seems to be Sid's episode. Yeah. She's the voiceover. She's, you know, most of what happens is her. We kind of flash to David. In plot terms, David is mostly spinning his wheels in this episode. Yeah, he's not doing a lot. I I mean, mean, like, in terms of what's literally happening in the real world, he's asleep the entire time, except for at the very very end. So... Maybe then Sid is the fuzzy bunny who's having an adventure uh, and she comes too close to the ocean, which is David. David yeah. is dangerous. Autonomy tries to convince her early in this episode that David is dangerous. Autonomy tries to convince her that, you know, she couldn't get, shouldn't get too close to him. And she does. And it, you know, doesn't end... Bad that badly for her though in this episode. It so, almost does. Can I present my secondary theory? Go. Frizzy Top is Carrie. Oh, okay. Tell me. Carrie gets 
dangerous, gets injured at the end of the episode, and she's the one who wants to get close to violence. She wants to get close to the ocean. She's like, come on, come on, guys, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let, right. let me get in that ocean. Yeah. Let me get there. And then when she finally gets all her violence, she gets shot. Yeah. And beat up before shot. And beat like, up before shot. Be yeah. Doing... Like, she's not doing so well. Yeah. She has this desire to to get in there, and then she immediately, like, she's going to regret that. And the other option, of course, is that... Is David. David is Frizzy Top, the fuzzy bunny who's on his adventure, uh, and it does not go the way an adventure is supposed to go. And if this yeah. is about balancing empathy and fear, uh, you know, David is all about fear. Mm-hmm. And if this is a story for us... I mean, you could say this entire series is a superhero show that doesn't work like a superhero show should. Yeah. So it's the fuzzy bunny meeting obstacles and overcoming them because of cuteness is what we expect in a superhero show, and that is not what this show keeps giving us. No. No one's overcoming any obstacles. No. <laughs> They're just meeting more and more of them. And if that, if so, then the ocean is the devil with yellow eyes. Mm. Or is David's yeah. own power. Yeah. I think much like last episode with the story of the crane and the woodcutter, there isn't... Yeah, it's not a one-to-one a one-to-one. thing. Although I think there is a closer to one-to-one mm-hmm. mapping of this episode than the yeah. last one. So, yeah. any other overall thoughts of the whole episode? I think that about covers it. I'd like okay. to talk about the music and the clothes. Uh, which should go first? Well, let's talk about the clothes first. Okay, go. So, in terms of David's shirt again, this time he's got a shirt with a big tornado, a big blue tornado on it. What does that mean? He is over the rainbow. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we you know, about Dorothy, Dorothy and Wendy. And Alice. Talk about Wendy. Alice, he's, sorry, he's Dorothy, and he's encountered a tornado, and now he's over the rainbow in the weird astral plane. Yeah, that makes he's sense. He's also like, his life is stormy and messed up. Like that all kind of, it's all fairly literal, the tornado shirt. Yep, I would also maybe say that David's time in the astral plane, I know tornadoes aren't hurricanes, but his time in the astral plane is like the eye of the hurricane. Mm. He's in a calm place and there's chaos and violence all around mm-hmm. him. Absolutely. Um, Carrie's outfit, I love. <laughs> She's wearing this blue kind of jumpsuit, which may be two-piece, I'm not sure. It's like bell-bottoms with this belt that's made it that has circles, leather belt, and a big coat, and she just looks like a straight-up superhero. Yeah, she could that be Jubilee. Is, yeah, she could be any one of the X-Men. This is, this is the costume that she is wearing. And, yeah, this is it was costume, but it's very superhero, especially when she starts fighting. She <laughs> looks like an X-Men. There's also, I think, uh, not necessarily a strict symbolism of the color, but it is worth noting that she wears blue, no one else wears blue. Mm-hmm. She has her own color. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Philly, when they go and meet her in the present, she's wearing green, kind of a dark green. Her earrings are exactly the same as the ladder in the astral plane. They're those yeah. circles. And even in the past, she's all in black, and she's got a headband that's circles. Just like the ladder in the astral plane. What is up with that? That's interesting. I mean... It just shows her connection to David, to David still. Yeah. Um, she's still clearly... Yeah. Uh, like, Sid asks if things ended badly, and she, you know, doesn't quite answer. Clearly things did end badly, but she still clearly has affection for David. Yes, absolutely. Right? And the green is like Amy. Yeah. Which is interesting. And the green connects also to the astral plane. She's dressed kind of as the astral plane. She is. Green with the ladder, the circle ladders. Yeah. She's 
definitely. Um, and her, you, you mentioned her being in black in the past memory. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to say anything about it? Well, yeah, she, in the kitchen scene, in the, uh, the memory of having breakfast with Dr. Poole, David's in white, she's in black, and Poole is in black and white. So what is up I'm with not that? Sure. And that's he's, also the coded colors of the clockwork staff. And he's, I mean, black and white is mental health professional colors on this show. Mm-hmm. He's also the bridge between the two of them in this yeah, scene. In the scene, especially, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oliver wears the same color cream as Melanie. Yeah. To kind of connect that he's her husband. But he's got some yellow underneath just for difference, I guess. <laughs> uh, Melanie is back from her military shirt to a, her flowing cardigan. She's wearing a turtleneck this time and is looking very cozy and warm. And that kind of echoes the whole winter theme of this episode. We all, and she goes down to like the frozen world and she's kind of dressed for that. We also, the turtlenecks, Sid wears turtlenecks and it is a visual signifier of her being closed off. Mm-hmm. And so when Melanie wears a turtleneck because she's emotionally vulnerable and trying to protect herself emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. David, in the past, I mentioned the weird switching of outfits with him and Amy. Yeah. He also really. wears red overalls and mm-hmm. a red and blue checked shirt. He tends to wear red when we see him taking King for a walk in the past. Yes. And we said we might come back to the colors at the end of the episode with, like, if he wears green and she wears red and they switch colors, and green is her color but he's wearing green, it does do weird things to our expectations yes. of who Amy is and what their relationship is. And it's so subtle and it's so easy to miss, but maybe, you know, 10 episodes in the future, we're going to go, ah, if you'd paid attention to that tiny detail, you would know. And so I feel like maybe I'm smart because I paid attention to that tiny detail. <laughs> or, or maybe you would mean nothing. Maybe you're just obsessing over they had one sweater and the costuming just decided to share it between the two of them. Exactly. I think everything is purposeful. So. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so music. The music. The major song in this episode is the fight, the song during the fight scene, the fight dance scene. Mm-hmm. That song is Feist. Uh, the name of the song is The Undiscovered, which is our title for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and the lyrics that we hear are, that we hear most clearly are, I had what I thought were clear open eyes, bright blue, vision of a lake carrying pictures to lay on you. Close the blinds, let him in, don't mind opening at the edge of love. You can't unthink a thought, it's either there or not. Mm. Shadows of a mountain, and it climb, is this the right mountain to climb, is most of the rest of the song. But I mean, the idea of the undiscovered mm-hmm. is absolutely <laughs> significant yeah, for this episode. That's, that's why we gave this the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because this is all about things that were undiscovered and we're discovering them. Yes. I like so much that this show is solving mysteries. Like it's presented, it's presented a lot of mysteries and it's a very confusing show. But in this episode, things get revealed yeah. that Which is, help us all along. We said early on that we did not get the impression that this was a show that was uh, impenetrable fog of mysteries without solutions. Yeah. And we're getting some real payoff in this episode that mm-hmm. things have meaning and answers and they're not just being obtuse they're yeah. uh, being deep the song is all about 
discovering things and whether that's bad, whether it's worth it to discover things. Is this the thing mountain I want to climb? Do I want it? You know, mm-hmm. do I want to find this new in the song? It's this new love with you, but sort of, but uh, in general, the principle in the show is a lot like the moral of the story of the woodcutter and the crane mm-hmm. that's finding something out in the song. It's not about finding something out uh, makes it go away, but it is about like, it's the, is it worth the effort? Is it really valuable? Are you going to be happy knowing what wasn't discovered? Yeah. And then, I mean, I had what I thought were clear open eyes is a, you know, thesis statement for this episode. Certainly mm-hmm. right? everything we thought we knew, not everything, Several things we thought we knew we were just wrong about. Yep. Uh, oh, uh, this song is all about climbing a mountain, too. And in uh, the astral plane, Lenny is talking about David in Summerland. She says, you thought you were safe with those clowns? Going to be a mountain climber? Yeah. And that's a line that doesn't really make sense in yeah, context. Yeah, I understand it, that line. Either. But if you connect it to here... Mm-hmm. The song is about being a mountain climber and discovering yeah. the undiscovered. Yeah. So what uh, Lenny thinks David shouldn't do is discover the undiscovered. That what yeah. Summerland is trying to get David to do is learn new things about himself. In Shall We Begin, when we thought that Melanie and Summerland weren't very trustworthy, there was a subtext that discovering new things maybe ruins them and makes them fly away. And yeah. in this episode, now we don't trust Lenny, and she's the one saying, no, don't discover things. Yeah. Don't be a mountain climber who finds out the undiscovered. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is worth Maybe it is worth it. Climbing rims. Yeah. In the background, in Dr. Poole's lighthouse, we hear Pia Yesu from uh, Foray's Requiem mm. playing softly. Pia Yesu, um, the, it's Latin, but the lyrics are, pious Jesus, give them rest. Mm. And uh, a requiem is a mass for the dead. Yes. So. Is Dr. Poole dead? That's what I was going to exactly. I was, yeah, we didn't discuss that much, but I think he is. Mm -hmm. I think this is, I think that he is mostly for plot reasons that if he is, we don't get to find out what the stars say. We don't have anyone to ask but David and David doesn't want to tell us. David will do anything for us. Slash doesn't know. Yeah, Slash doesn't know. Yeah. And then the other uh, subtext, I think, I totally agree. Dr. Poole is dead, and this is a clue to us. Mm-hmm. The other subtext of PAA suit during this scene is that the past is dead. This is uh, what Potonomy says about the past is uh, is gone. The past is fantasy. Yeah. The past is dead, and we're talking about David's past, and we're singing a song about Let It Rest. Yeah. Um, in Oliver's Ice Cube, the jazz song he plays yeah. is called Metamorphosis okay. oh, by Sonny Simmons. Metamorphosis, uh, that's definitely significant. Exactly. There's lots of metamorphosizing going on all over this place. Exactly. It's metamorphosis, one thing transforming into another. Um, and we have, you know, Lenny transforming into Benny. We have the dog transforming into the devil. With, we have the dog transforming into not the dog. We have Benny, tra- we have Lenny transforming into the devil with yellow eyes. We possibly end the episode with David transforming into the devil with yellow yeah. eyes. Uh, and all kinds of things aren't what they seem, and not just aren't what they seem, but transform from one thing yeah. to another throughout this episode. Yeah. And last, this isn't exactly music, but the poem that Oliver says in the Ice Cube, oh, he yeah. doesn't, that isn't an original poem. No? Oh, I thought it was, because it's crazy. 
It is a <laughs> section from a poem called A Supermarket in California by none other than Allen Ginsberg. Ah. It's a section from the poem the that makes it seem very, like, loopy and loony. Mm. The poem as a whole is all about Walt Whitman, Ginsberg's respect for Walt Whitman, and uh, kind of mourning that Whitman wouldn't recognize Ginsberg's America, that he goes to a mm. supermarket, he doesn't know who killed this pig and where the pork chops came from and where the banana came from and Walt Whitman would have. Yeah. Um, and there's an aspect of that poem being particularly appropriate when you have two generations of telepaths who don't understand each other. Yeah. So Oliver is Walt Whitman to David's Ginsburg. Mm. He's a ge- the previous generation's genius trying to impart his wisdom that the second generation can't understand because the world isn't what it used to be. Yeah. So, right, so I think that, that wraps it up. I think it does. Uh, I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. You can find us, you can continue the conversation on Twitter at ClockworksCast. If you have any further thoughts you want us to talk about or want to tell us what we've missed about this episode, you can also find us on our website, goodstuff.fm slash clockworks. And you can email us at clockworkscast at gmail.com. And especially uh, if you want to bring up things that you would like us to talk about in our season wrap-up episode. When we're done the whole season, we'll have a season wrap-up. That'll be a good time for us to directly address things that you would like us to address. Mm -hmm. You can send us by email or Twitter. Thank you very much for joining us. See you soon. Goodbye.